Digital Gonzo, episode 104, dated Thursday the 11th of September 2012, The Sound of Gonzo, volume 3, 007 edition. Digital Gonzo. I'm Alex Shaw, back with yet more music-based podcasting. Due to a scheduling conflict, the Firefly show intended for this week hasn't happened yet, but we're recording on Friday, and I swear by my pretty floral bonnet that it's next in line. Instead, to celebrate the month that marks not only the release of the 23rd Bond film, but 50 years of 007 on our screens, we bring you a no-brainer, the James Bond-themed Sound of Gonzo show. With me are my partners for the Trilogy of Bond Review podcasts released last year. Mr. James Batchelor of Gameburst and MCV Magazine. Hello. I'm ex- stupidly excited about this one. When, we, uh, when, we start, when you first pitched the idea of like a, a Sound of Gonzo show, my first thought was, oh, I can point all those Bond tunes out that I enjoy. And then you said ones that we haven't reviewed. It's like, oh. I know. But then I just thought, well, what an opportunity. Uh, and also joining me, Mr. Gary Blower of Game Burst, Ninja Fat Pigeons, and formerly Big Red Potion. Hello there. Hello. This time, with three of us, I've reduced the choices to four each, spanning the five decades of Bond history. Theme songs, cinematic scores, cover versions, video games. This has been a monumentally tough choice for all of us. Has it not? Yeah, it certainly has. I, I narrowed mine down to ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find it easy to pick sort of three but then to pick the fourth yeah. one was really tough because i could have picked about a dozen I, yeah. I i had i had an instant three and i had about seven or eight different number fours but if you think about every single film has not only a, a song but a soundtrack then we've literally got hundreds of single tracks to choose from and the remit of covering a good range of different sounds and moods uh, we've had to debate and swap and change pretty much constantly since I suggested the show. I even changed one of mine mere hours ago. But we are ready now, and we have a very special collection for your listening pleasure. Some are going to be old favourites, some will be totally new, and some will surprise the hell out of you. Once again, we have to detail A. The film each piece belongs to originally. B. The name of the track. C. The composer or artists involved. And D. Why did we pick this one above all others? Now, we've actually put it in order, chronological order of films, but not necessarily chronological order of track release. Okay, now, the one we're going to start with first, 
I, I mean, I, I considered that we, we, we couldn't not start with this. It, it might have been James's choice originally. I thought, no, you know what? This doesn't have to be one of our choices. This is one of the ones we kind of have to play. And that is, of course, the James Bond theme. And we had a variety of different ones to uh, choose from, but it, it all just came back down to John Barry, the original Doctor No style James Bond thing. So without further ado, here it is. simple it's a minute 48 whole things over like that and i've never really been able to analyze it in terms of actually what it's composed of mm. but uh, you just take it for granted but that that's like a surf guitar the actual ding 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 anyone know how this was actually composed um, I know I've seen I saw something on a, on a documentary that, that the actual um, the guitar bit is actually based on a song from a play I can't remember the song, I can't remember the play, I can't remember the, even the verse, but I just remember seeing Monty Norman or John Barry like kind of singing along, and it is note for note the James Bond theme. Right. It, and it's something sort of... like, he is the man, and, 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 I don't, and I honestly cannot remember what it is, but it is based on a song from a play from the 40s. And then it comes in with all that, that sort of the... Which is like pure Vegas. <laughs> it kind, kind of, but it's... It, it's also a kind of, I don't know, of its time and the kind of the tail end of the sort of swing orchestras that you had mm, yeah. in the 50s and early 60s. And they tend to, I mean, if you watch, uh, you know, sort of terrible Doris Day movies in the sort of late 40s, early 50s, they had a lot of tunes that were very similar to that, you know, with which yeah. were kind of growing and growing and growing. And a great big load of brass came in and. Uh, it's just that sort of swing style. I know John Barry. I know obviously he didn't originally write it. It's his arrangement, but he actually started out as a kind of swing musician, didn't he? Swing mm. band. So it makes sense. It's amazing how much this one stands out, though. That like yeah. you, you just hear any any kind of two second snippet of this tune, and you know what it is. And that kind of that's that's the mark of a good theme tune is that, that you instantly know what it is and you recognise it. It's um, 
it's become iconic, isn't it? It's yeah. sort of lumped in the same group as things like Jaws and you know, yeah, Raiders yeah, of the yeah. Lost Ark and stuff. You know, sure. you, you hear like one bar of it and you still know what it is. My trouble mm. is I can't take the original theme seriously at the moment. Um, yeah. Over the summer I was watching... I, I, my ex had never seen any Bond films beyond the Daniel Craig one. So I started her off on From Russia With Love and I did a couple of Conneries, a couple of Moors, etc. And in the Connery films, when they play this... I think it's only the Connery films where they actually play that original version, um, mm. because obviously they kind of re-orchestrate it for each of the kind of the more yeah. and etc. It updates every yeah. couple of years. In the Connery films, whenever the only time they, the majority of the time they play that, certainly Doctor No from Russia with Love, it's when nothing exciting is happening. If he's just, when he's walking around his hotel, yeah. room, <laughs> exactly, he's like sticking yeah, bits of hair on the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit of hair on the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I can't take it seriously for that reason. It's like, oh, a man is walking into a hotel. <laughs> Just that's that's bad application of a great piece of music. Yeah. For, I mean, the whole thing is supposed to be he's sneaking around, he's sneaking around, he's James Bond, and he's up to no good. And then suddenly, all hell breaks yeah. loose, and he's kicking us. Da, da, da. I think they, <laughs> I think they, they in general in the, in the kind of early two or three films as you've just been watching them Alex they tend to use the theme when he's being cool when he's when he's yeah. Yeah. when he's well yeah not just when he's swap, but when he's just you know he's just going about his thing and he's he's, he's well, the man to when him. he's strutting he's doing his strut yeah that's basically and, when they bring it in and a number of composers afterwards brought that in like um, and, and, and kind of used it like that so um, I'm thinking of uh, it's uh, Tomorrow Never Dies Tomorrow Never Tom- Dies in the paper factory yeah, yeah exactly that's exactly the moment I was thinking of he just comes out and he's walking through he's like yeah I'm Bond I'm walking out that's it. Mm. So yeah, I think I think of all of them, Arnold, uh, David Arnold understood how that theme is used. Yeah, he did. <laughs> the, the, we were very close with this one because we wanted to play the. Um, I wanted to play the David Arnold theme version of this, simply called the name's Bond, James Bond, from the very end of Casino Royale when he turns up with the silent HK MP5 and like one hand in his pocket yeah. and Mr. White shot in the legs on the floor at his mercy. What a great way to finish that film. I love. Seriously. I don't know if you've seen the 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 Blu-ray box set, but I love the way they've got the silhouetted images of all the Bonds, mm-hmm. and they're all standing there with with you know. With, You're very proud with, of that Blu-ray with, box yeah, set, aren't you? Well, I'm just saying they're very. They're all standing there proudly with their you know like doing their pose with the guns, and yeah. when you look at look across, they've all got fairly reasonable guns except for Brosnan who's got a silencer, and then Daniel Craig has got a dirty great big submachine yeah. gun, <laughs> and he's in that. Until, I've got my hand in my pocket pose, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So he's like kind of tells you everything you need to know about the new Bond. Yeah. Yes. Should we move on from the main Bond theme to uh, the the 007 theme, which people aren't quite so familiar with? I am eternally gutted that Arnold didn't bring this back. I on, I'd love to hear a David It'd Arnold rendition. Be updated. Of this. Yeah. When you guys hear it, you will go, "Oh, that bit." If you if you watched the earlier Bonds, you'll get that. But this was this was like the ancillary 007 theme, and it it turns up in multiple uh, action sequences throughout the same, maybe the first five. Ooh, all up to Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, no, yeah. it was at last. Last time it was used was Moonraker. Oh, there you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, of, of all the films to to finish with. Well, I, I will hum a bit for you guys now. And so everyone will now go. Oh, right, that bit. Yeah. Okay. Either that or what the hell was that, Alex? Yeah. 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 You, guys, may need reminding. Um, Gary, this was your choice, so you're going to have to go ahead and justify why you specifically went right. The Thunderbolt version is the one. Well, to start off with, I think the the 007 
tune as or as this is known to me is is probably as iconic if not more iconic iconic than the theme because again like you just said you only have to hear that one little bit and you instantly think oh yeah it's from an action sequence in a james bond movie you probably can't name which one it is because as you said as we just discussed it's probably included in about seven of them but you instantly know that that is the signature sound of bond in action old bond in action specifically yeah well yeah if it turned up in in Daniel Craig's I mean, just as is, it would I, it would seem well. I wouldn't, wouldn't put it place. past if David Arnold does another one to sort of sneak it in there. But yeah. well, Thomas, well, maybe Thomas, Thomas Newman, Newman, might do Thomas it Newman would do that. I would love him forever. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> and now, as you quite rightly said, also what John Barry did is he, he changed it ever so slightly in each movie that he used it in. So I think he used it for the first time in, in um, From Russia With Love. Yeah. Yeah. The it's Gigi actually camp. originally called the From Russia With Love 007 theme. Yeah. So <clears throat> in each of the, and p- particularly in that film, it's the gypsy camp fight. Um, but he, he, what he basically did, and this is, is that the one with the, the fight which Bond resolves by bedding both fighters? Uh, basically, <laughs> yeah. 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 Cheering them of their lustful angriness. Indeed, it's the gypsy way, apparently. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, it's used in every, in every in all those different films, and in each one, he kind of blends a bit of the theme into it, so the, the actual context of the movie. So, for example, in um, You Only Live Twice, there's a little bit of the kind of Japanesey twang that was that was in a lot of the music for that film. But my favourite one is the version that they used in Thunderball, because as I said to you, uh, Alex, to me it's the most blousy, and what I mean by that is it's got really over-the-top trumpets and over-the-top percussion compared to the others. It's almost like mm. this is bigger and badder than all the other ones. This is, um, this is, you know, this is Bond in his pomp. And interestingly, um, I was reading the other day that of the, of the films that Connery did, it was actually Thunderball that he was most proud of. Which yeah. I thought was quite interesting because it is my favourite of the Connery movies. But I'd say I watched it yesterday, and thinking back to what I said about it last year on the review shows, I take it back. Thunderball is brilliant. Yeah. I forgot how good really? that film is. It is. That's my film for tomorrow. I am currently on a marathon, same as you, Gary, uh-huh. uh, through every single one of the Bond films up to Skyfall, which will be on the twenty-third day. And so, yeah, tomorrow Thunderball. Kind of looking forward to it. I think you should. I think the only thing that uh, we talked about this before, but the only thing that holds it back is the the fact that so many of the lead actors are dubbed, yeah. and some of the sound mixing on it is a bit weird. Um, particularly if you're watching it on HD on Sky or something, you'll notice it. But uh, and of course the tempo on the editing, especially during the fight scenes, oh is yeah, it's all, all over the place. Yeah, someone's got their finger on the dial and swinging it up and down like a yo-yo. But um, <laughs> and I love the uh, the the car sequence and. and James will name the villainess's name. I can never remember her name. Uh, Volp. Fiona Volp. Fiona that's right. They changed the name. I read that as well. She was going to be called something completely different. She can be Irish, apparently. Fiona, I don't know, O'Rourke O'Reilly. or something. Yeah. <laughs> and because they got an Italian actress, they changed the name. Oh, I got it. But, uh, yeah, particularly that scene, you know, where she's driving the car flat out. That's very bad mm. <laughs> in HD, but there we go. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the, I just think it's an iconic piece of music. And uh, of the John Barry orchestrated stuff it's probably the best
So this next one's also yours, Gary. Yeah, I've got a lot of the early ones I've noticed, perhaps it's because I'm an old git. <laughs> well, no, no, that, that balances it, because otherwise it would just be, you know... Well, you picked some of the too ones... Too much love for David Arnold. Yeah, so you don't, my, don't... My, my trouble is I'm obsessed with the later scores, so... Yeah, yeah, there's a few I would have picked, but I knew you guys would pick them anyway, so that's why I didn't bother. But... Nice, clever. But this is a fairly recent discovery for me, because I bought the um, Shaken, not Stirred <laughs> album when it came out. Uh, I was at university at the time, I think. And I, I absolutely love it. And uh, I was talking to James about this the other day. He's only recently um, bought, uh, listened to the Propellerheads album, which again mm-hmm. I got the day it came out. Um, but this track was recorded to be part of that set, but was oh, was right. not actually included in the album. And it was recorded at the same time that uh, David Arnold recorded "Play Dead" with Bjork, which was for the film The Young Americans, which again yeah. I love and I've, I've got. And I. Um, I should just point out, this is um, the theme from You Only Live Twice by Bjork. And I actually, you can actually download this from Bjork's website, which is how I've got it. Um, and it's free, which is really good. Oh, cool. Uh, I've actually incorporated my copy into uh, Shaken and Stirred as the final track. That's, nice. Do you know what? That's George. a really good idea. I should do that. That will make it easier for me to find when I spent half an hour looking for it because I hadn't tagged it properly. Um, I quite like um, Play Day, while you're on, um, you mentioned like, you know, Arnold and Bjork collaborated on Play Dad as well if you go davidarnold.com not that I go there that regularly you um, do and <laughs> um, but like when you go in it play when it's doing this whole flashy animation thing it plays Play Dead and you listen to it automatically it's got that Arnold song it. it sounds like something out of a Bond film out of an Arnold scored Bond film yeah, hmm. yeah, it is. I mean, that, this was Bjork's uh, Neely Hooper period, which you know when she uh, recorded her first album debut, which I absolutely adore. It's one of my favourite albums, and I have a real soft spot for her kind of kooky, weird voice. I'm not so keen on some of her more recent stuff, but that period in the mid '90s towards the sort of early 2000s, she was. I you know some of the stuff she made just sounds. I don't know, incredible. I find her voice intoxicating yet disturbing at the same time. It's a real. She, she's like, a, you know, she's like some sort of evil spider woman temptress, you know, where she sort of lures you in and then you and then you realise, oh my god, no, she's really scary and needs to run away. <laughs> and as kind of the lyrics in this are kind of like that because if you've heard the Nancy Sinatra original, which is also beautiful. Um, mm. It's very sweet. Indeed, but she... There's a little bit of a warning in there, but yeah. But Bjork does it the same way. She does it really sweet, but then it gets to a little point and you think, well, hold on a minute, perhaps it's, you know, is this, this is the mad woman coming through again, and then it goes back to being sweet again. It's, she goes full-throated a few times, yeah. Indeed. So it, um, I, yeah, I just think it's, it's, it, it's rare that uh, a reworking betters the original, particularly as the original was so good. Um, mm. But uh, I think this is an example of it. It's just a shame that it's not been, you know, sort of more generally available. Well, you can check, check it out, obviously, on YouTube, as all of these are available on YouTube if you search around. And uh, you can look for the full listings on the forum. So we're going to go with You Only Live Twice, sung by Björk, co-performed by, of course, David Arnold. Wow. 
Okay, so this next one. Now, this one's a long one, folks. Dig in. <laughs> Get comfy. Uh, okay, so Gary, explain why the Propellerheads version of your favourite film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, with your favourite soundtrack and that favourite piece of music, mm-hmm. their version absolutely has to be heard. Well, it's a collaboration, again, between David Arnold and the Propellerheads, and they, they collaborated, uh, again, for sh- on, on Shaken, Not Stirred, and they also collaborated for uh, one of the... Brosnan films, didn't they? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Dies. Yeah. That was going to be one of James's choices, but then when he saw you had chosen this, he changed it. Sure. I, I was determined to get some propeller heads into the show, <laughs> and uh, well, they, when I when I saw that you'd picked this one, it's like okay, no, I can live with that. Well, they were um, again famous. I mean, they, uh, if you don't know who they are, they were formed of like several fairly well-known DJs of the time. So again, this is sort of mid mid to late nineties, and um, they uh, were huge Bond fans, and they. They they wanted to do something you know on this album with David Arnold and that's how it then spun into the other stuff. Um, well, what they they composed Spy Break, which is that lobby scene in the Matrix. Yes, yes, that, yeah, indeed, that's on their album. In fact, um, mm. I, I mean, I love the, the the main theme to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but what the Propellers did not, not only did they take the main theme and remix it and just make it utterly mental. Um, but they also blended into it two of my other favourites, so Space um, March from uh, uh, Moonraker. No, you only live twice. You only live twice. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, and also, from Russia with Love. Indeed. And also bits of the ski chase in Our Majesty's Secret Service as well. So they blended these kind of four things and a little bit of the 007 theme from you know Thunderball et al. And they they blended that all into one. Huge banging dance track, which so sounds kind of a double seven mega mix. It, well, you could kind of think of it like that, but it it is top tailed and filled throughout with the wonderful sound um, title music to on the Majesty's Secret Service, which is you know um, I was so pleased that Kermode had it down as his favourite because it is probably mine actually. Nice. But the the Propellerheads just sort of t- took it. I mean, to use a cliche, they took it and they turned it up to eleven, and it is just a huge banging dance track and uh, to pull it off and have it sound so good is a minor miracle quite frankly and mm. I just think it's the standout piece of music on uh, Shake and Not Stirred it's the standout piece of music and they, of course they uh, should have mentioned they've also done collaborations with Shirley Bassey which again is no coincidence yes um, uh, it's the standout track on their album and it was I think it reached number 7 in the charts it was actually a pretty successful top 10 hit as well it's used so often as well it's used in like um TV ads and, and trailers like for other things. Um, I swear they used. I want to say they used it in the original, the first teaser trailer for The Incredibles. I wouldn't. They, said, they certainly used a version of on the Majesty Secret Service for that film. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. No. In fact, um, the, te- yeah, the when he's trying to get on his underwear. Yeah, he's trying to. Oh, get, he's trying to get on yeah. his belt. And it's, in the background, it's going because, of course, it has that flavour yeah. in the incredible of sort of sixties spy movie Bondy type in like Flint.
Right, this next one actually doesn't need too much of an introduction. It's, um, it's the first more. It's Live and Let Die. But it's not the Wings version. McCartney, much as I love him from the Beatles, cannot compare with the bombacity <laughs> of Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Paul McCartney has this lovely, melodious, smooth, calm, lovely voice, even now. Whereas Axl Rose is like nails on a chalkboard. But... It's still oddly melodious in the way that it sing like this. <laughs> Slash, one of the greatest guitar players ever. So uh, th- there's a real sort of you know thunder to that thing. You were young and your heart was an open book. You used to say live and let And the other thing is, of course, that it's uh, from one of my favourite films of all time, not Live and Let Die, Gross Point Blank, oh, which I'll be talking about later because uh, that is, uh, I, I've got to review that soon. That is a f- truly fantastic black comedy. Okay, so the next one. My next choice is uh, probably an unlikely one. 
Um, <laughs> I was surprised I, I, to see it on I here. was exceedingly surprised, but I assumed uh, there was some sort of sensible Gary reason that I'll end up agreeing well, there's, with. There's two, there's, there's two reasons. Uh, and I want to just read you a quote. This is a, a, not a paper I read, but this is a quote from The Telegraph, which listed um, The Man with the Golden Gun by Lulu as its eighth choice in the top ten bomb films. Bearing in mind there's a 23, so this <laughs> is just the top half. Um, is that, sorry, is that the film or the song they've rated the as song. eighth? Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah we're, not, we're not going down chop Socky hell, don't worry. They've um, <laughs> written, it's often regarded as the most preposterous Bond themes, but that's the point. Roger Moore's 1970s Bond was preposterous, as well as sexist and comic, and the song which its composer John Barry put together in just a fortnight and grew to loathe is undoubtedly over the top. And that is why I love this theme so much, because uh, it is just well and truly over the top it has ludicrous lyrics like he has a powerful weapon he charges a million a shot <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh, is it not- his eye may be on you or me who, who will, he, will bang? he bang uh, yeah, indeed. we shall see indeed. I, mean, I, I believe I described it last year in the podcast as filth indeed yeah. and that's it's, yeah and I, I love it for that reason and the second reason love is required whenever he's hired it comes just before comes the kill comes before the kill <laughs> It's embarrassing. It's, this song is it embarrassing. Is. It's so literal as well. I mean, I don't know if any of the others are, are so literal to the movie. No, because it's just, usually, usually there's some sort of like metaphor about love and yeah. relationships oh, and yeah, Bond. Yeah. I mean, even like Thunderball, the actual song Thunderball, to this day I still can't work out if they're talking about Bond or Largo. Okay, I'll say again, Goldfinger. Right, okay, let me clear up the Thunderball one. Uh, a Thunderball is the, you know on a mushroom cloud, the bit at the yes. top? That's called a Thunderball. Oh, okay. And that's what the song is about. Because it's about nuclear weapons. And okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So in The Man with the Golden Gun, it is literally a sing-song about the man with the who gun. is hired. Then love... What do you mean love is required? But he always... He, he, has, to have, seem he has to have sex it's, before he kills someone. He believes it makes him lucky. Yeah. What? It does. It's in the film. Yeah. In the film? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but the second reason I like it is so the opposite of boxing then yes I guess so there is a there yeah. is a scene in the film where it's explained isn't it and Bond says something about I think I may have nodded off I don't know third nipple I that's what I knife throwers do it or something I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other reason I really like it is that um, I have a real soft spot for kind of 70s ghetto funk and there was this although it's not central to it for whatever reason, uh, John Barry decided to include a little bit of funk guitar in there, and I just mm. really, really love the little rift that goes that comes in at the beginning of each verse. Yes, I know the one you mean. Yeah, that does sound quite good. That just like tickles my funny bone because I, I, I must admit, you know, I really do. I mean, I've got, um, I've got uh, quite a lot of albums of very sort of unusual seventies ghetto funk, and, and some of the, you know, some of the music from like black exploitation films and stuff. I l- love that kind of. New seventies New York sound, and w- for whatever reason they decided to include it. I think because it was this was around the kind of well, we know it was the chop socky and black exploitation era, uh, mm. and for whatever reason they included that um, throughout this particular song. And it, I think it just gives it a lovely sort of well filthiness to it, really. Poor movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it it does feel a bit like uh, see you next Wednesday. Indeed. Let's go ahead with the man with the golden gun, and who will he ban? We shall see.
Another one of the Bond films, which has a fantastic cast. Like you couldn't pick. Uh, I don't. I think Chris Lee is a, a brilliant, you know, nemesis. Oh, hang on, are we including Britt Eklund at this point? No, I'm ignoring <laughs> the fact. There we go. Well, she's kind of yeah. She's there for comment relief. She is one of my least favourite Bond girls. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But Maud Adams is great. Maud Adams is great. Yeah, Maud Adams is good. Yeah, um, but better in Octopus. But you know, it, uh, you know, Chris Lee is just Ooh, so she's... sort of arrogant and, and menacing. Yeah. Yet the film is dreadful. You know, the yeah, whole yeah. business with the two the two nieces and all the chop socky stuff drives me absolutely potty every time I watch it. You said that last year. And of year, course, the, the return of Sheriff J.W. Yeah, it is, again, oh. this is the opposite of um, You Only Live Twice in that I think the last third of this film is actually pretty good because it's just <laughs> Bond and Scaramanga and that's actually yeah. a good bit. And everything that comes before it Apart from the stunt with the stupid sound, minus the, the slide whistle, yeah. the sudden the sudden appearance of a very Bond villain-esque looking power plant, which honestly looks like Thunderbird One's <laughs> hangar. <laughs> but just... Actually, this that had relevance when this movie was made, though, because it was yeah. during the fuel crisis, which was very real. You know, there, there were you know, most of the petrol stations in this country had no fuel, and it was a very you know they were going into a winter where there was everyone thought they were going to freeze to death. So it had it had some relevance. Uh, it came out, but I think I'm unjustly scared of the golden gun itself because of my experiences on the Golden Eye game. Oh yeah, this is it. Uh, where yeah. it'll kill you with one shot. One shot kill. This is it. Yeah, but yeah, dreadful t- first two thirds, good last half. So if you took the end of this and put it with the beginning of You Only Live Twice, you might have a decent film. It's prob. It's it's among the most dated. Though. Oh god, yeah. it's absolutely of its time. Oh yes, yeah. I, I Saying of its time is kind of like a nice way of saying incredibly dated. Well, I think the, the, the fascinating thing about, particularly the Bond themes, is they are always 
uh, with the exception of the more recent ones, I'll give them that. The theme is the the type of music they go for is normally just going out of fashion. So, <laughs> for example, when Aha were asked to come in and do a, a theme song, it was when their career had finished, yeah. and that particular style of music was going out of fashion, and that was true for a lot of the Bond movies, and that they they felt Does like. Does that they, mean this is the beginning of the end for Adele? No, that's what I'm saying. I think there's some <laughs> modern exceptions. I think Chris Cornell yeah, still. Think, I mean, he just did the Avengers movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I think more recently they've got a bit smarter with it, and they've picked mm. musical styles that are are not contemporary with the time, and so therefore can't be, therefore be dated. Whereas before, what they were doing was picking things that were contemporary. I mean, it started with Live and Let Die, really. Mm. Uh, and they started from that point onwards. They started trying to pick contemporary music, as you just heard with the Lulu one. But they picked yeah. it sort of three, probably when they started shooting the film, and by the time the film came out, everyone had moved on to something else. Even this next Fortune. track is very contemporary for the time that the film came out. Absolutely. Indeed, and if anything, again, slightly dated. Yeah. Because by the time the film came, by the time the film came out, that particular style of music was, was on its way out. You know, it was... It was well, it's 77. Um, this is a lot of synth, and 77 was, of course, the year Star Wars came out, and uh, John Williams said, hey, this is an orchestra. You guys yes. might want to get to get to grips with one. <laughs> Should we move ahead with Bond 77 by Marvin Hamlish? Yeah, um, I've, I've picked this one um, because, you know, as Gary says, it is, if you listen to it now, if, if you listen to it now having never heard you know, or seen the original Bond films, it does sound incredibly dated. But that, to me, is part of this track's charm. The fact that it, just, it is so evocative of arguably the peak of the Moore era and therefore kind of almost a halfway point of the classic Bonds, the pre-Craigs, because this is film number 10 um, mm. out of 20 uh, pre-Craig Bonds, so it's kind of the halfway point. I would have picked this if James hadn't picked it. I think it's got it's got a kind of disco vibe to it, and again, this yeah. was like end of the yeah. disco period, <laughs> um, but it's got this kind of disco vibe running through it, and again, a little bit of that kind of um, New York guitar going on as well, and it's just, it just you know, a little tiny bit funky, and it, it just, I don't know, it's it, it it kind of fills you with joy when you hear it, if that makes sense. It kind of makes mm. you feel upbeat, even though the That's, point in the it, film it's being used is is during like key action sequences, and then it has that kind of that kind of slow down and that bit, with, you know, as it's trying to build the dramatic tension back up. Because this this bit's used quite, with the car, isn't it? When it's underwater, yeah, it, it's yeah, used yeah. with the car and with the ski chase at the beginning, and yeah, the yeah. you know, and one of the most parodied Bond scenes of all time. Um, and I, it's quite because the the notes are quite low. It's quite it's almost quite dark. Um, sometimes well, not dark, maybe just brooding. Maybe I just it's quite a you know sinister tune at points. Um, I just it's it mixes it up. It switches between yeah. the two. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that like you say, like it sounds like a disco tune. It sounds like the sort of thing you'd hear down at a seventy disco club. But the way they've just woven the Bond theme in. And the way that it did, the Bond theme just rises at certain points in this, and it's really, really, it's like, it, it just gives you that kind of, that goosebump feeling of, this is James Bond. Yeah. Mm. Particularly during the ski chase bits, um, towards the start of the, you know, the first half of the track. This actually has a legacy to us, a track that we're going to be uh, hearing later, which is another of your choices, James. That there's a kind of a, which is in both. Yes. So listen out for that, folks. So what we're going to do here is we're actually going to start from the gun barrel, which is, I believe, our only gun barrel in this entire thing. And it goes all the way through where Roger Moore gets chased by Russians on skis, and then he jumps off the cliff, and it's like, oh my God, Roger Moore's going to die. But then the parachute opens, and you get that 
Final dead end. This is the cheesy bit, was it? When he says, um, when the girl says, oh, you know, I, but James, I need you. So does England. And you hear, wah wah, in the behind. I, I, I don't know. Let's listen Let's and find, find out, out, shall we? <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. 
clang. It seems so weird not to finish up Nobody Does It Better. <laughs> it does. The middle section, to me, lacked any kind of real drama. It's like, there is no way Roger Moore is in any danger. And that that's kind of what I felt about a lot of the Roger Moore films, that he, he never really seemed to be in, in much danger. He just sort of pottered along <laughs> and smirked and, 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 and made quips. And just easily dealt with every single situation. There was very few bits where he really freaked out. That's why that bit at the beginning of Moonraker, when he gets you know put in the spinny machine, he seems to be really not having fun there because, as I said, Roger Moore's not that good an actor, and they actually did put him in one of those things. Just it's too safe. But then at the end, it sort of turns into something a lot more dangerous. Yeah, there's that really excellent sort of ski, ski jump, so it, it kind of makes up for that. So it's. I don't know, Roger Moore has always struggled to hit the dramatic notes for me. He did nasty quite well, because he does nasty in this film particularly well, when he throws a bloke off the roof, but... Yep. Mm. Is that that the one where he's holding onto his tie and then just goes... But, yeah, I see what you're saying. I always feel with uh, Roger Moore that he's always getting... He's always getting his his ass kicked, but always managed to come out of it unscathed, you know? Mm. You know, like the fight in in Moonraker in in Venice in the glass factory. I mean, he, he gets... You know, seven tons of what's it kicked out of him, and uh, yet he still manages to walk away from it unscathed. But there we go. So we're actually going to uh, finish the Roger Moore one on the uh, final song for his career, and it's a song he didn't like because he was an old fuddy-duddy and he didn't like pop. Uh, it is, of course, a view to a kill by Duran Duran, who uh, you mentioned earlier about had to remove Duran. Were on the way out at the time that they got uh, uh, put in. This was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. Oh, poor you. I know. But for me, as a five-year-old imbecile, I loved it. It was great. Because, you know, it it was just... It might have been my first Bond film ever. And I've been told by my father, this is Bond, he's really, really cool. And uh, so, you know, the bit where he trashes the car and ends up sort of driving around in the front portion of it was hilarious to a child like me. And I found Grace Jones to be oddly fascinating, even... Not in in an attractive way, but uh, in that she was terrifying. She was, as I said before, a giant obelisk made of teeth. (laughs) 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 And obviously, the, the screeching woman... I was oh. used to screeching women because the, the entertainment that a five-year-old watches, all the women screech. And, of course, I was an imbecile. Uh, and, again, you know, it didn't make me go, no, this is, this is wrong. She should just be quiet and just it help. It worse that I discovered recently that Roger Moore was friends with her mother. Oh, God. So, and, yeah, of course, I could not understand about the turtle is hungry because I saw nothing wrong with, like, a 67-year-old man trying, trying to get his horny old beak onto luscious young women. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this, I've got the saving grace of this film is Christopher Walken. You know, yes, but I think that's the Despite only his thing. Bonkers plan. <laughs> well, actually, there was a thing in the register. Oh, you probably guys don't know, but there's a IT um, blog website, which you call called the Register, and they actually did a. Mm-hmm. I think it was last week that she wrote. A, oh, you did mention. Yeah. yeah, they wrote a piece where they. Yeah, I think it was posted on the forum actually that um, it wasn't such a harebrained scheme after all, because really at that time, nearly all the silicon chips in the world were being manufactured in Silicon Valley, so it wasn't as crazy as it sounded. But so could the Flintstones also have happened? Um, Oh, the other good thing about this film, I do like the Golden Gate Bridge showdown. I mean, today it's obvious that they're not 500 feet above the traffic, but uh, the actual stuntery, especially in those days, was was quite impressive and gave an impression of scale. 
but so much of this. This is like one of the worst Bond films oh, yeah. ever. Definitely. It's really horrible. I do like the intro music. Now that I've seen the sequence again, I sat and watched it with Lyra, and she now understands about the turtle being hungry, and um, she she now identifies uh, third Bond as the turtle. <laughs> Thanks. Um, the sequence with all the sort of girls and the horrible luminous paint is like it's 1984. Who has a black light? Yeah, this is a direct quote from Lyra. Ugh, I wouldn't like to kiss her. <laughs> no, you and me both. She looks like a crazy woman. <laughs> So yeah, this is Duran Duran from a really best-to-be-forgotten intro sequence, uh, but it's actually a, a really kind of awesome song. Future Kill, Duran Duran, 3, 2, 1, go.
Okay, you know what that song had, which, like I said, was missing from a lot of the uh, more films? Drama. Yeah. It made you feel maybe he won't be all right in this one. <laughs> it's the opposite of, of, uh, of Octopus. Maybe he's die in a big Roadrunner-style explosion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, unfortunately, because of their choice of titles, it's going to seem somewhat repetitive to go from a view to a kill to license to kill. But just... Let, let me let me console you, folks. Bond does quite a lot of killing. He's got a license for it, and he can view it. And it's Gladys Knight. And we had to think of... Well, I, I wanted to make sure we had one for each Bond. And I racked my brains for a really good piece of score music from the uh, from the Dalton ones. And it was John Barry's last one for um, Living Daylights. And there's no major standout moments that I can think of. I want to say Mujahideen. That piece, um, when they're travelling with the Mujahideen over the desert, is quite nice. But like I say, it's nothing standout, nothing, I must listen to this again and again. That's nothing it. Nothing that makes it one of the 12 you must listen yeah, to. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And certainly it's, not it's, ha-ha. it's certainly one of my favourites, but not yeah. an absolute must listen to. And as, yeah, as I said last uh, year, the Aha song should really have been sung by David Bowie. If you actually listen to it, it's got the, all right, hold on tight now, mm. which would have been great sung by Bowie. Yeah. But instead they went for Aha, the one-hit wonders. Don't say that to my wife. <laughs> she, she really oh, she adores Aha, uh-huh, yeah. I, I promise I won't say that to you. Oh, she was most disappointed that I wasn't picking that song, and I had to gently break it to her that I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd only just mentioned this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, she knows how I feel about them. Incidentally, yeah, One Hit Wonders, they've had about eight albums. Incredible. That one Hit Wonder in England. True. Other thing we've got to mention that you talked about during Bond 77, Marvin Hamlish, who did the uh, score for The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, passed away just this August. And did you say he won an Oscar? He won an Oscar for The Sting. He won three Oscars for The Sting. Robert Redford, Paul Newman film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he also was Oscar nominated for The Spy Who Loved Me as well. All right. Um, so credit where credit's due on Marvin there. Um, and if we can't have Aha and we can't have John Barry's score for... Living Daylights. What about the score for this <laughs> License to Kill? Oh no, it's just Michael Kamen doing a bit of Die Hard. Yeah. I quite like his um, almost jazzy rendition of the Bond theme. On the soundtrack, um, the last track is called... That where he takes away for, on the, uh, the seaplane. It's kind of it's, it's kind of it's all over the place. It's when he hooks the plane up, it's when he takes off on the seaplane, it's when he... It's when the... Yeah. During the, the kind of the lorry chase at the end... It's good, like the last track on on, um, on the soundtrack, which I think is also called License to Kill, it's ten minutes that basically mashes together the hanging of the plane, the tanker chase, and the uh, the seaplane action scene. Right. And it's a great ten-minute score, but it's so up and down and up and down, and you every time you kind of get, and you're really getting built up and you get really kind of excited by the music, it then slows down and does this wishy-washy kind of just almost ambient build up to nothing Um, and the worst bit is like there's a weird kind of (laughs) I don't know the technical term for the instrument but there's a weird kind of rattling whistle that goes (laughs) it doesn't go quite like that obviously but 
every time I listen to the track, you can hear it in the back. It just comes in once, and it feels so out of place, simply because the sound that I, I the, the thing I associate that sound with is a two Ronnie sketch. The score for License to Kill was unexceptional, and Michael Kevin was not invited back, despite the fact that he he did some fantastic work. I believe he's dead now too. Um, his his work on the Iron Giant is wonderful. Uh, his his work on Die Hard again. Fantastic. So this just wasn't his film. Um, but it, I, mean, I didn't even have to think for more than half a second. If I was going to have one bit of Dalton music, it's this. Absolutely. It is a callback to the Shirley Bassey songs of old. And Gladys Knight, again, wasn't massively popular at this point, so she was kind of an odd choice. It has such a boom sound to it. It's, it's got a crescendo to it, like straight away, and then it's got this kind of crooning aspect to it. There's a little bit of cheese in there, but it's overall, it's a really kind of you know rousing Bond song, and actually probably makes me a, more, a, a little more disposed to the film than it really probably deserves. Uh, I actually sat down with Lyra and showed her a whole bunch of intro sequences for the uh, earlier Bond films, just to sort of give her an, an idea of what who James Bond was, because I couldn't really show her much of what Bond does. Um, and I, I hadn't realised quite how many basically just feature models in the nip. Floating ladies. Floating ladies, floating ladies, running around in the dark, holding onto guns like they've never held a gun in their life before, <laughs> jumping on trampolines into swimming pools. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> floating ladies, that's what it's all about. Yeah. We haven't had it recently, um, though, they've dropped the floating ladies, although I did catch... Ladies made of sand. Little in, uh, tiny one, Quilus of Solace, yeah. But uh, they, they held it back. We, we shall see with Skyfall. It might be absolutely chock full of naked ladies. Okay, right. So, this is License to Kill by Gladys Knight. Sans Pips.
two we're actually going to put one after the other straight away because they actually should have gone together they should have done although i'm not yeah. majorly unhappy that they didn't no neither am i, I mean, this it's golden eye so we're going to start with james's choice which is eric Serra's golden eye overture and then we're going to go on with the original version of the golden eye song sung by someone completely different so let's talk about eric Serra first um, Eric Serra obviously is a very very different kind of composer he's one of those guys that's got a very unique kind of style the only other thing I've seen that he scored was The Professional uh, no not The Professional Leon don't know why I called it it's The Professional in America yeah The Professional in America or Leon over here um, very very similar soundtrack to this lots of very kind of ele- electronic drums um, you must have seen The Fifth Element I have seen The Fifth Element does he score that as well then he, he pretty much did every uh, loop or something uh, ok fair enough but the, the 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 parallels between the Leon soundtrack and the Goldeneye soundtrack are very very strong. Um, not a lot of kind of orchestra used. All very much kind of kind of uh, electronic drums, almost kind of this metallic sound to everything. And it's it's a really different sound to everything that had gone before. Bear in mind there'd been a five year gap. I believe it was five years. Yeah, yeah five five maybe six year gap. Um, it was a definite kind of punctuation point, a definite kind of a, a comma between old Bond, as in Connery up to Dalton, and then here is Brosnan, Bond of the 90s, new generation of Bond, almost a reboot, almost mm. a reboot. But then they bring it back by mentioning By mentioning, by mentioning yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the, 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 the soundtrack was so different to the previous stuff. It's got a very kind of gritty, brooding nature to it, and I just love the general tone of it. There is this just sense of... And certainly during um, GoldenEye Overture, GoldenEye Overture is the track um, from when he enters the facility at the start to jumping off a cliff and falling faster than a moving plane. (laughs) And 
<laughs> yeah. So you've got sneaking... Lyra said, is he crazy at that point? Yeah. It's, it's, I said, no, he's just really cool. It's a terrible end to an otherwise fantastic opening for a Bond film. It's a brilliant You don't opening. like that? I love that bit. I it's hate mental. it. I hate it. It's stupid. You hate that bit. Okay. It's the one. It's the one Bond stunt in the entire series <clears throat> that I hate. When I saw that in the cinema, everyone stood up and cheered. Really? Yeah. <laughs> when he when he dived off and then caught up with the plane, yeah. He falls faster than a moving plane that is propelling itself forward. What did he eat for lunch? What is weighing him down? Um, regardless, <laughs> not the point. I did this on the Bond review show. Yeah, you've got a great kind of stealth um, section, very kind of sneaky, good. I love like kind of very tense, sneaky music. Then it ev- very much inspired the GoldenEye soundtrack on the uh, N64. And there's that it kind did. of you can, you can really <laughs> you can really kind of hear as well, like the kind of the parallels between this section and of course that section in the game which is facility I'd say the greatest section of that game indeedy striking different tone to it and it's very kind of a cold tone which given that the majority of it's set in Russia fit really well it's, it was a fantastic take on what Bond music could be right but then the rest of the film he's going and it just warps the whole thing and if you actually mm. listen to the soundtrack you're like I can't even remember this bit in the film there it's are, awful there are sec- I think I said there's bits on the soundtrack that aren't even in the film yeah the tank chase his original version was so appalling oh, they took it out terrible. and had someone else come in and do a tank chase bit ironically it. ironically one of my later choices would have been perfect for that mm-hmm. tank chase um what I did, I, I, lo- I also, I just, I love the idea that rather than playing, you know, the, the bomb theme up until this point had always been played on a massive orchestra or as much of an orchestra as, as they could muster at the time. And this is the first time it's very kind of low and brooding and in the background played on a drum. It's still Bond. It's still the Bond theme, but it's there lurking in the background in the shadows like Bond. So yeah, then this this is the entire facility section, including Oromoff and the standoff and that excellent bit there. Um, and then afterwards, rather than the Tina Turner version of Goldeneye, we have what was originally intended to be that, and that was, as Zan said, a band who was already on the way out and were pretty much done at this point. Ace of Bass. Remember them? Shakespeare all that she wants. <laughs> The song is called The Juvenile. Just When you listen to the song after the Eric Serra section, you're going to have to just imagine every time they say The Juvenile, them saying Golden Eye, because that's what the original lyric was. They had to switch it so that they could release it on their 2002 album. I don't even know Ace of Base was still going in 2002, but apparently so. And if you listen to it, the lyrics actually do match up with what happens in the film, possibly more so than the Tina Turner one. So what you're about to hear then is the Golden Eye Overture by Eric Serra, followed by The Juvenile by Ace of Base.
Goldeneye was such a great Bond song. It was, it was different from your classic ballads, but it wasn't your aged, dated rock song that was specific to the time that the film came out. It mm. even today sounds amazing and powerful, and edgy, and edgy, and it is and Bonoe and Bonoe. <laughs> but it, it's it sounds unique to like. It doesn't sound like something you'd find in the charts normally. It sounds like a Bond song, yeah. and that's this almost inexplicable quality to a Bond song you can't just you. some songs you can just listen to and say yeah that's a Bond song or that could be a Bond song um, I can hear the Bond like qualities to the Juvenile but it's not as good as Goldeneye oh god no I, I wasn't saying it was as good as Goldeneye I like it yeah no 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 Goldeneye is one of my absolute favourite songs um, but no I, I, I 
I do kind of like it. It's um, I, I've never really been a fan of Ace of Base. I don't think anyone has. I tell you what, I wish that had been the end credit song rather yeah, than Eric gonna... Sarah's "The Experience yeah. of Love." That would have been say, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it would have a good end credit song. Yeah, folks, but if you actually have the GoldenEye DVD and have never really listened to the end credits, you'll probably realise now when you go back and listen to it that it's got this horrible, croony, oh. sort of awful song in it. And, and it's just... Just listen to the whole thing, because it's horrible. I'm not playing it for you now, but it's Eric Serra doing some microphone it's wobbling. horrible, with a blocked-up nose. He's yeah. definitely got a blocked-up nose in that song. <laughs> uh, okay, right. So, yeah, that was those two. We only have three left. This next one, you've never mentioned it before, James, but I believe you are actually something of a fan of David Arnold. <laughs> I, I think I have. I, I not mentioned this before. You've not mentioned oh, it. Never what was said I those doing? Words exactly. You've implied it, but you've not actually <laughs> said it. You said something, something like, I quite like David Arnold and also John Williams. Yes. Yes, I, 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 take a, I, I, I can accept some of John Williams' work just as I can accept some of uh, David Arnold's work. No, I... It's safe to say that we could, basically couldn't get through this without one really rousing bit of uh, music from David Arnold. Absolutely not. And it actually took me a while to pick which one. Um, initially, I went with Backseat Driver because mm-hmm. as I love David Arnold's chase music, but I also wanted some propeller heads in there. When I saw that Gary had chosen the propeller heads version of On a Magic Secret Service, I was very happy because then I picked this. Well, I sent you a tweet saying, I can't believe you didn't pick this one. Yes. I know. I, I can't believe I didn't. It, it was initially on my, on my picks, and I don't, I, I, don't know, I don't know why I didn't. It is my go-to piece of Bond music. It is the best chase music out of the entire series, because ultimately, every, everyone loves the series for different reasons. For me, it's a chase. You cannot be a good car chase, boat chase, plane chase, space... Foot chase. Foot chase, space buggy chase. You can't beat one. So this is Come In 007, Your Time Is Up, but it's also the track just before it, which is called Show Me The Money, which is kind of the build-up to it, so that you get that sort of, it raises up to a crescendo, and then, boom, he's, he's bursts out of the uh, uh, MI6 building uh, in, in a giant rocket-powered speedboat. This is the greatest chase music in the entire series. It is impossible to listen to this track without feeling exhilarated. It's impossible Mm -hmm. to drive with this track on without suspecting (laughs) everyone behind you of chasing you with machine guns. (laughs) Or indeed a speedboat. Or indeed a speedboat. You suspect everyone around you when driving along to this tune. It's got everything. It's got the, the grand orchestral just sheer volume of you know a massive piece of orchestra playing the ba- the Bond theme. By the end of it, it practically screams the Bond theme out. Like the, you can hear the brass instruments protesting under how loudly they are being played, but it works. And it's got David Arnold's kind of unique kind of flavour of electronica mixed with uh, orchestral scores. It's the Bond theme, but it's also got snippets of um, the World Is Not Enough the mm-hmm. title thing he wrote, as well as, I believe there's, there's hints of um, uh, uh, Only Myself to Blame, but I could be wrong, like kind of a sped up, much better version of Only, only My... There's kind of this just, there's melodies that run all the way through it. Rather than it just being random music, like arguably Bond 77 is, there's definite melodies and definitely peaks and troughs. And as I said on, on the Bond review show, like last year, the point where Bond 
is cut off. Like it's the boat chase from the world. There was not enough. When Bond is cut off by fire, he needs to find an alternate route. And the the mournful violins of that's it. Bond's let her get away. He can't recover. And then when he works out how to get to the uh, get ahead of her, cut her off at the pass. The sheer triumph in how the Bond theme builds up, level by level, first the strings, then the percussion, then a little bit heavier percussion, then the guitar, then the massive brass, it's just phenomenal.
she gets in a hot air balloon. The best getaway device. <laughs> I... And then the world is not enough by garbage. I'm actually really surprised that I didn't in- get include the world is not enough by garbage. Because that is a phenomenal song. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the songs I really, really wanted to get on here, we actually played in entirety last year in the in, in the Bond uh, podcast. Like, for example, the entirety of You Know My Name is on there, and I uh, I love that song, and I would definitely include this in the most important essential songs to listen to, but since we've already played it, we don't need to. And Take It All by um, Joss Stone mm. from Bloodstone, which I pitch at every possible convenience to people uh, just because it's a phenomenal song that no one's actually heard unless they've played the video game and I'd have loved to have played the entirety of GoldenEye as well but ultimately we went with something a little bit out there a little bit different mm. and uh, gave people something they might not have heard before and speaking of alternate tracks that you might not have heard before a lot of you may be wondering why haven't we played any Shirley Bassey she is so important to the Bond music legacy she did three songs Goldfinger Moonraker Diamonds Are Forever she actually did four and no one's not heard about this one I only found out about it a few weeks ago I only, I pretty fa- much put- I only found out about this one I was either uh, it was last week last mm. week when we were putting together this show is but when yeah. I found out about this song she did miss the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well which never is that Bassy? Oh, yeah standard I didn't realise that yeah oh she did a okay. version of it. There were several singers, but she did a version for Thunderball, which never okay. made it. Five, then. Uh, but this one is her fifth and virtually unheard. You'd imagine that James and I and Zan would have heard this one before. Zan, did you heard this one? Uh, I'd, I'd heard it, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It lacks her power from the earlier ones, but it's still good. But, I mean, considering her age and considering just the, 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 the cultural touchstone point of actually getting her back for this... It's it's quite phenomenal that they got made. It was I was like a dream when I heard. It. I was like, seriously, this actually happened. But um, the, the worst thing is that this didn't happen. Yeah, it, no, it didn't. Ha- that's actually it's the most unjust. Thing. Yeah. And the more I hear it, the more I think, you know what? This really should have been the song in the film. And it's Quantum of Solace. Not only should it have been in the film, it uses the riff of music that's actually in the film. There's a Na, 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 bit, which if you listen to the soundtrack to the Quantum of Solace David Arnold has threaded throughout it this is something that the composers for the Bond soundtracks do they thread the theme song into the, the score just to differentiate it from the rest of them so that you know you're listening to View to a Kill you know you're listening to Goldfinger and Arnold in particular um, does this not only does he work with the artists on the main title song uh, he also writes a kind of a secondary song that goes on the end credits. So with Tomorrow Never Dies, it was Surrender by Katie Lang. Um, mm-hmm. With Only uh, uh, The World Is Not Enough, it was Only Myself to Blame with uh, Scott Walker, which, and, you know, as we've just... Both of which had riffs that come straight out exactly, of the, yeah, uh, the, and that yeah. fit so perfectly into the score. They were written into... They, are, they make up part of the DNA that makes the entire soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um and he clearly did that again with this one because you know while there are elements of the Jack White Alicia Keys atrocity, which I think I made my feelings quite clear on last time. Um, I believe you said you liked it. I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm misremembering this scene, but I believe you said it's well good. I believe I judged everyone harshly that did like this. <laughs> I believe I insisted that people not listen to it because it's that bad, particularly now that I know that this exists. My hatred for Alicia Keys' Jack White, Another Way to Die, has found another level now that I know that it replaced this. 
You have redoubled your vitriol. I have. Okay, so when you first hear this, you'll be like, oh, that's Shirley Bassey. That's, that's, that's weird. This is interesting. I can't imagine her singing about the Daniel Craig Bond. It just seems odd. She could be his grandma. Um, but it'll grow on you. And the words fit so well with what is happening to Bond's character in Quantum of Solace. Like, it's, you know, it, they're not as literal as the man with the golden gun, Phil. Mm. But they are. They they sum up exactly where his character is at the start of this film. You know, he's lost Vesper. Yeah. He's lost the one woman that he's loved. He's his faith is shaken in the entire world. You don't trust anyone anymore, do you now, Bond? And it's it's one of the few Bond songs sung by a woman from the point of view of Bond. Mm. That's all we need to do to introduce it. It is called No Good About Goodbye. And I actually think it's kind of the jewel in the crown of this particular one because it came out of nowhere and it's stuck in my head and I've found myself humming it for the past few days Likewise. and I've been really looking forward to, to introducing it to people. So this is Shirley Bassey herself. I'm just going to double check how old she is. With David Arnold, of course. With, of course, David Arnold. Shirley Veronica Bassey, 75 years old. Next time you listen to Quantum of Solace, listen out for the because it turns up again and again and again. And this is the song that should have been at the beginning of that film. Where is the solace that I crave? Will it still haunt me to my grave? Too broken to forgive, too pain. There may be other arms to hold They'll only keep me from cold There'll always be a space A fact I have to face now
She does not sound like a 71-year-old woman there. That's astonishing. She's the only artist who's recorded more than one song about James Bond, if we don't count the propeller heads yeah. and a bunch of other people. Uh, and she's done five, as we were saying. Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and this one being the, uh, the, the two that people don't and won't remember. Which is just looking on the um, Best of Bond albums just come out. You know, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang's on there, which is good. Cool, as good. is Whereas Everybody's Gone and Surrender. So there's a good few of these ones that um, people probably don't know were like the alternative theme tunes actually on that album so it's good to see that they're, nice. they're getting some love well good and that's exactly what this uh, show's about it's, it's, it's about giving you guys something that's a little bit different a little bit out there and not just the usual standard 10 ok so we are going to leave on a song that we would really be remiss not to close out on the new track from Adele simply entitled Skyfall uh, so what have you gentlemen thought of this song so far because it only came out last Friday and it's Monday today I really really like it I have to say um, I've probably listened to it about seven or eight times now I, I bought it on iTunes as soon as it came out mm-hmm. and uh, I think her voice just I mean she, you know she's dialing into Bassie anyway but mm-hmm. it just seems so right and it's so powerful probably the best theme I've heard since this is probably um Licence to Kill, actually. No, I'd go further back and say Licence to Kill. In terms of sheer power uh, and uh, sort of stoking anticipation for the movie. I do really enjoy the, the, the theme to Casino Royale. That was... that what, you know, Before the film came out, I wasn't really that stoked about it from that from that theme song. But Skyfall just really, I think, has nailed it. Uh, gotcha. And interestingly, I noticed she, she wrote it, didn't she? she? This is completely all her work. Nice. I hate Adele. Not as a person... I, I'll get that clear on out. I hate her voice. I hate her songs. I hate her music, and I hate the word the way she mispronounces words. But I like this song. I, I like Gary says it's it's so true to what a Bond song should be. It's got the right tone to it. It does get you excited about the um the the upcoming film, and not just because they've worked in the four notes that obviously make the basis of the Bond theme tune. Because mm. that that can be kind of a cheap. It, I know you like "Take It All" um, by Joss Stone. It, the the bit that both delights and annoys me is the part where "Take It All" suddenly goes into the four notes of the Bond theme, just to remind you that it is a Bond song. This actually, it kind of it seems very organic. It seems it fits naturally with the film. Uh, sorry, with the song. I'm very look, very much looking forward to seeing what they do with the title sequence over the top of this. I'm very much looking forward to Skyfall. And as much as I hate Adele, she is a good fit. She's a ve- like when when they announced it was Adele, like the guys at work were all taking the mic because they know I hate Adele. Um, but I would, I, I, I certainly after the recent ones, and certainly after Quantum of Solace, I couldn't think of anyone else that would be better at singing a Bond song, even though she does mispronounce certain words. I've got to disagree with you on those four notes in Bloodstone. I love that bit. That's one of my favourite bits. Did, of the song. <laughs> I did. I did like it the first time, but the the, the, the second and third soundings, it's just like right. This is kind of a just. To, it felt like kind of forced more so than say Thunderball, which has got it in the um, in halfway through. I, I don't know why I took offence to take it all. I'm uh, not massively attached to this yet. 
I'm waiting for the film. I like the fact that it's more calm than the uh, previous ones. Mm. Uh, the, the Jack White and Lisa Keys one, while I might like the song, is totally at odds with the tone of the film. It's funky. The film, Quantum of Solace, is not the least bit funky. It's not the least bit cool. It is an angry, angry, upset film. I don't know what the tone of Skyfall is going to be. I'm saying I'm, I'm okay. reserving judgment until I actually see the film. Mm. I, I think I'm possibly uh, seeing it with uh, an intro sequence with lots of sort of you know shots of Daniel Craig falling in silhouette mm. might, uh, might might make. Truth it more be powerful. told, like so, I've seen the trailer. The, the trailer where we see him seemingly being shot off the top of the train and landing in the water. Yeah, I, in my mind, that to me is the pre-credit sequence he falls into the water and then the title sequence that goes with this is I imagine to be it's going to be very similar to the title sequence for Goldeneye Reload and Goldeneye 007 on Wii i.e. very kind of watery naked women swimming through etc I expect that <laughs> you expect naked women I expect women. Naked floaty, women. Ladies. Floaty, floaty ladies floaty ladies and uh, I, see, I mentioned that this was kind of like uh, the intro sequence to The World Is Not Enough, as the way you described it, as in Bond injured, falling, and that's the opening for the, the, the sequence. So, so rather than just simply pimping your shows, I would like you to choose a favourite recent episode for listeners to track down. Uh, okay, I'm going to pick every now and then we do top fives, uh, a bit like this, the, you know, these shows with top, what are we on today, 15? <laughs> um, but we did a top five first-person shooters, which was... Uh, a top five that was widely requested uh, and I think uh, we also got a phenomenal response from the listeners in terms of uh, them suggesting their favourite five FPS's as well I think we had over 50 or 60 suggestions in the end uh, and it made fascinating reading, there were some real surprises in it so uh, you can find that in all the usual places like our website or on the on iTunes it was the episode that was broadcast on the 20th of September Okay and James? I'm going to pitch the Tom Clancy re- uh, roundtable we did back in September. Uh, discuss the kind of the history of the Tom Clancy franchise, one that I'm actually um, quite a big fan of. Uh, it was kind of a lead up to our replay month, game of the month last month, which was uh, Rainbow Six Vegas 2. It was just really interesting to hear kind of where the series has gone, the different directions each branch has taken, so Ghost Recon, Splinter Cell, Hawks, Endor, etc. Um, if you're a fan of any Tom Clancy games, definitely give that a listen. That's all from us this week. If you haven't heard them yet, listen to Digital Gonzo episodes 41, 43 and 45 for a complete retrospective of the entire Bond movie series from the three of us. Truly fantastic listening, and thank you, gentlemen, for being on those episodes with me. Your diligent hard work and research then and now. Thanks for having us back. Indeed. Anytime. Gary and I will see you very soon for Firefly. I've been Alex Shaw, shaken and stirred. This is Adele with Skyfall.
Swept away. 